Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Welcome to this episode of Beyond the Bump, everyone. We have Dr. Morgan Edwards, who's a New Zealand GP with us today, and we thought it was very uh, timely that we had a chat to someone in a professional manner about what is going on with coronavirus, and as of today, the 12th of March, what the recommendations are um, and, you know, what the state of things is. Because it's a pandemic and we're all freaking out. Yes, (laughs) and everyone's freaking out and we want to know, do we really need to be hoarding toilet paper or can we all just calm down a little bit? And yeah, we just want to know what is going on. So thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the party. Thank you for having me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you just to start with, just to get to know you? Yeah, sure. So um, I am living in New Zealand and that's right. So um, I'm a doctor and I have got two kids myself as well. So I've got a 20 month old daughter and a five year old um, son and just feel like I'm probably like everyone else, just really watching the situation evolve. Um, But with the added sort of benefit of having this huge community of medical professionals that I can draw a lot more information from um, and so it's really exciting to be able to share some of this information with all of you as well. And before we start, do you think the media has absolutely just taken a a spin on this this entire thing, or uh, should we be listening to every word that they have to say? I think that the media has done a, a bit of an appalling job in conveying what we should actually be worried about. Um, because you can read some things that really can downplay how serious the contracting the coronavirus can be. But then on the flip side, they can, I think, have really done, for example, a lot of harm with this toilet paper stockpiling mm. by shining a light on it. And I think people watch that and think, well, if everyone else is getting toilet paper, maybe I should be too. And so that can really spiral out of control by them sort of focusing on some of the wrong things. So what makes this virus so dangerous? Well, so one of the things that makes it dangerous is that it's new, so that our immune systems have never seen it before. Um, I see a lot of people saying that it's, you know, the same family as the common cold, and that, that is partially true, and that different things can cause the common cold. But So it's a coronavirus, which is not a word that most people have heard before, but it's a general term to describe a family of viruses. Um, and so, yes, it does include some of the causes of the common cold, and it also includes SARS and MERS. Um, but what's different about different types of coronaviruses is how they attach to the body. So the common cold attaches to your nose. So you get symptoms like a runny nose and a blocked nose. What can make this so dangerous is that it attaches to your lungs. And so your symptoms are respiratory in nature, which is obviously a lot more severe than a runny nose. Would that be similar to a flu? Yes, so this, the flu can also enter the body that way as well, yes. 
Okay. And what are, because I've been listening that there's multiple symptoms to the coronavirus. Some people can have, you know, a cold. Some people can have more respiratory. There could be a whole range of things. Um, is there one particular, you know, um, like I guess group classic of- symptom yeah. for it? Or- yeah, well, that, but that's a really good point that you've raised because lots of people have no symptoms and it's really hard to know the numbers around who gets what because we're only testing um, more severe cases in most countries um, and, you know, I was looking at some data today, places like America are barely testing at all. So we say maybe about half of people have almost no symptoms um, but it could be much more than that. Then there's some people who were just, just describing what would be a really bad cold. Mm. Uh, and then there's a smaller group that can have much more serious symptoms, um, which are us- which are respiratory in nature, so your flu-like symptoms, uh, and then a very small group that can end up in intensive care requiring ventilation. And so if for public health reasons, should we, you know, to have correct statistics and, um, you know, records about rates and stuff. Should anyone at the moment with cold and flu-like symptoms be seeking medical advice so they can be tested or are you better if you do have cold and flu-like symptoms to stay home like you normally would if you had the cold and flu? Yes, that's a very good point. So uh, As Goldie starts coughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, doesn't have coronavirus. Um, So what we know is that basically the single most important thing we can do for containment is to stay home and not expose other people to our bugs. So that obviously needs to be balanced with the priority of you seeking treatment. And so individually, we absolutely should ring local health line in Australia or New Zealand, whatever your local number is, and that can also include phoning your GP. And they certainly recommend that if you do need to go in and see your GP, to phone ahead so that they know that you're coming, they can prepare. They might recommend you go through the back door. They might say you sound so serious you need to go to the hospital. Um, But certainly you should definitely not just show up at your local It seems like such a nightmare of a situation, though, because, you know, as you said, some people can have no symptoms. So, you know, say you do come off a plane from Japan or wherever, wherever you've been holidaying or you've passed someone and you're fine for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden you've got a cold. Well, you've actually or you've got coronavirus. You've you've pretty much touched and passed hundreds of people. So is this why this is such a problem? Yes, yeah, exactly. And that's why we say that the single most important thing we can do is containment and self-isolation. And that's one of the reasons that the World Health Organization identified that they've escalated the classification to a pandemic, not because anything changed from yesterday to today in terms of their levels of concern, but they are concerned at the inaction of many of the countries around the world. Yeah, yeah, right. And at the moment, what is the fatality rate and how does that compare to the normal flu? Look, that's a really hard question to answer because you can be asymptomatic or you can have mild symptoms. We don't know what the overall number is of people that have contracted coronavirus. So we know that 
it's looking like it might be around 3%. Some other numbers say 2%. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that the, the common flu or the seasonal flu is less than 0.1% right. um, fatality rate. So it's definitely a lot worse than that. And is it mainly just the elderly that are highly affected? Or I think we had a lot of questions come in yesterday. People are concerned about being pregnant and having a newborn. Are they at risk just as much as the elderly are? Um, I mean, this is where the panic is starting to come in, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So they're two very different answers. So the elderly... Um, we know are much higher risk. And basically, most of the people who are dying are elderly. So some of the data from China looks at of people who get coronavirus who are over 80 years of age, about 15% of them die. So that's that's a a really huge number Mm. in that population, yeah, which is really horrible. And then the other end of the spectrum is children and babies. And so we know that children actually appear to have quite a bit of protection from it. Um, I've heard quite a few colleagues talk about it's quite similar to with chickenpox. Children, we know that if kids get chickenpox, they're not usually as unwell, but if adults get chickenpox, that can be very serious. Um, And so why that is, we don't know. I think scientists are really fascinated by it. There's some thought that perhaps something about the immaturity of children's immune systems maybe means that they pick up something the immune system detects something between different types of coronaviruses and that gives them some protection but it's all sort of theoretical at this stage we don't know why children do seem to be protected and have any children or babies unfortunately died from this that we know of not that i know of yeah um it's and it's definitely talked about that um, children are m- much more likely to be completely asymptomatic. Right. And just to confirm, um, pregnant women are not at a high risk to... Yeah, so look, a couple of things have come out in the last few days from a couple of different colleges. So the College of the Royal Australia and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and then the the British College, the equivalent there, and they're saying some slightly different things, which I just think reflects this whole situation that <laughs> yeah. we don't know. Mm. Um, what we do know about women is, you know, in pregnancy is kind of just being extrapolated from SARS and the flu. So we know that pregnant women theoretically would be at higher risk when you think about pregnancy and the changes that happen in your body. So your immune system is suppressed, which is a good thing in pregnancy because we don't want your body to think that your baby is a foreign body. Mm. So that's a helpful thing, um, but it's not helpful when you're trying to protect yourself from diseases we know that your lung function isn't as good that's the other thing that we're worrying about and when we say as good it's that you've got a big baby pushing up on your lungs so you've got less lungs to work essentially oh absolutely you feel that when you're pregnant and you also need more oxygen as well that's the other thing so you have less lung capacity and you have more oxygen demand Um, so overall theoretically pregnant women would be at higher risk We know of one case of a woman who was pregnant, 30 weeks pregnant, who got coronavirus that did need to have what we call mechanical ventilation, so a breathing tube and be on a ventilator. Um, Her baby was born by cesarean section. Baby's doing well. She's fully recovered. 
Hmm. Um, so we're certainly not seeing pregnant women in the same category as the elderly or anything yeah. like that. And do we think that um, it? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's been around long enough for us to know. But do we think that it has an effect on the unborn child if a woman was to contract it? Yeah. So that's another thing. So Lalesh League came out with a statement saying, um, and so did um, the neonatal um, group from the states saying that vertical transmission or transmission from mother to baby when baby's inside um, looks highly unlikely. Um, but we're taking a step back from that to say that that's possibly too early to say that it's it's not happening, that we're not transmitting um, if we get coronavirus when pregnant because in all of these cases that the conclusions are based on, babies were born very shortly thereafter. Yeah. So we don't have cases where women have been pregnant for a their whole duration of their illness and then their baby's been born later. And is that because the woman's been unwell so they've decided to deliver the child or is that just coincidentally they're further along in their pregnancy or...? Yeah, a bit of both. So um, there's that one case of that woman who was 30 weeks where yeah. her baby was delivered early and then the others have been near term, which yeah. makes sense because that's when your respiratory function is worse, you're more likely to yeah. have symptoms, you're more likely to have it identified. Yeah. And... Just to calm some nerves after speaking about all this, so the the healthy, you know, normal adult or child, if we got contracted coronavirus, yes, we would be ill. Yes, we would be unwell. It would be a horrible one to two weeks. We, we aren't going to die. You will recover from it. It will be okay. So even if you did get coronavirus, it's actually not like you are going to die. No, absolutely not. You're, you're very right. And, you, you know, you're saying that you would be unwell for a couple of weeks, but you also might not. Um, you might be completely asymptomatic and completely fine. Wow. For, for, yeah, for Joe Bloggs, um, adult or child who is younger than 60, who doesn't have any other um, diseases or health concerns that are more serious mm. um you're likely to be very well yeah well that's and, and the people that have contracted it properly um who are normally well people generally how long is it lasting so we're seeing it, it it's not a particularly long protracted illness yeah. but the, you know there are certainly some cases um, you know, patient one in Italy, for example, was a fit, young, healthy male, and he did get unwell, um, and he required um, to be on a ventilator, um, and that was back last month. Um, he's now had a full recovery. Yeah. I know that, like, it's a pandemic and everyone's freaking out, but what I don't understand is if it is mainly, like, horrific for an elderly person to get sick, then obviously they should be the main people taking these precautions. I know that we don't want to spread this disease. However, if we are okay and you can be non-symptomatic, why can't we fly? Why can't we just continue doing what we're doing? Like, why is it getting so... um it's just getting so outrageous that everyone is. They're taking toilet paper off the shelves and I feel like it's taking everyone in a spin because they're not understanding, um, the. I guess, the, the – come on, Sophie, give me the word. I get, like what the ramifications absolutely. are going to be. They're, they're not under, uh, like we're not educated enough to understand what is happening. 
Yeah, I think that's very true. But I think that also looking, we there's looking at it as an individual risk, but then you're looking at it also as a population risk. So you mentioned travel, mm. um, and there's some sort of the the concern with travel is often overstated in terms of going on a plane, for example. We know that planes have got fantastic um, filtration systems. Um, we know that. The, the distance that it can spread is probably generously one and a half metres, so more like one metre. Um, so if you were very unlucky to be sitting next to somebody that had coronavirus that was coughing all over you, yes, that would not be ideal. Um, but if you're four rows back from that person, you're probably going to be fine. Um, and, you know, there's obviously precautions you can be taking around that as well with wiping surfaces, washing your hands, etc. But we're, we're describing... Um, you know, being in countries like we are with wonderful healthcare systems and being fit and healthy people ourselves, I'm, you know, just talk, speaking for myself personally, um, but a lot of the world doesn't have the healthcare that we've got. Um, one of the things that's talked about in New Zealand is that we are very conscious of the fact that we're a gateway to the Pacific mm. uh, and that for coronavirus to get to countries like Samoa, who recently had the significant hit with measles, um, and, you know, other countries in the Pacific, that's a huge concern for us because they don't have the resources and facilities. So whilst we are worried in New Zealand about the ability to cope with um, the significant burden of those people that do get unwell, we have these contingency plans are starting to be made and we hopefully will be able to cope. Um, but we look at some other countries and they are almost certainly not going to be able to cope with that increased yeah. burden. And I guess you can say, you know, there's plenty of healthy people who live with their elderly parents or their elderly grandparents and then so like like I guess where do you draw the line on who can go out and about and who but it's one thing to have the you know the the health side of things the other thing getting back to travel is that even if like you said we would be okay flying in a plane and going overseas the problem is um if say you were going to Japan or Italy and then you're in lockdown you can't come home and that the concern for pretty this much is, me. This is not <laughs> hypothetical. Jade had a trip to Japan booked oh, for the first no. week of May, but obviously Jade's like, I without can't, my kids, she's like, I can't then be, I can't be stranded. I said, I, I, I'm not bothered about the coronavirus because I'm fit and healthy, but I am concerned that if I cannot get back to my children, my anxiety and my parents, like it's just, you can't go. So that's like another thing that we all have an issue with at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And then there's the also the thing about flying and your or traveling, sorry, and whether or not your insurance would cover you if you needed healthcare mm. overseas. Um, the being quarantined or held in a country overseas or not being allowed back into Australia or New Zealand is not something that's happening right now for citizens, but we don't know where this is going. Um, but then there's also the, the, the step, and, you know, my family's looking at travelling also, is when you come back, then needing to self-isolate for a couple of weeks and adding that time onto the disruption from your life. Mm. Yeah, because I think there's all this talk about, oh, just self-isolate, and it's like, yeah, that's great if you can work from home or via correspondence, but the vast majority of jobs and the vast majority of people can't afford no. to take 
two weeks off work just on their own accord. So I think listening to what you've been saying, I'm assuming we don't really need to be stockpiling food and preparing for a lockdown. Would you agree? Well, that's one of these things that it's an answer that's really hard to give because we look at countries like Italy where three weeks ago they had less cases than New Zealand does now um, and now they're in a countrywide lockdown. Um, and it, I think one of the thoughts that people have about that situation is that they obviously didn't have less cases than New Zealand has now. Uh, they thought they did, but they weren't testing. Mm. Um, Who's that to say that that's the same situation in New Zealand and Australia, that we've actually got it far more widely spread than we know. So it may get to the point where we're having to quarantine in the coming weeks. If you look at some of the exponential growth curves that are being projected for this virus, there is the very real possibility that it will become much more significant in our countries in the next few weeks. Um, But having said that as well, in terms of preparing for being at home, if we're looking at being home for two weeks, nobody's using 68 rolled toilet paper in a two-week period. Um, it, we think about things you might like to have in the home for that situation, and it would be more things like, do you have enough cleaning equipment? Do you have enough pet food? Panadol, Nurofen. Yeah, exactly. Do you have your hand Wi-Fi for Netflix. <laughs> do you have things to play with with your kids if you're shut indoors with yeah. them for two weeks? Do you have, you know, do you have enough activities? Um, those sort of realistic things that will actually be much more of an issue. Maybe you can toilet paper the entire house because that's what <laughs> you've got stored at your place. But it's it's your medicine, it's your cleaning products, it's actual food that isn't going to perish. Yeah. Um, and pets, people forget pets, I think. Mm. And so what is the situation in Italy right now? People literally cannot leave their homes. Is that correct? Um, I actually don't know the yeah, answer to that's that. Fine. I don't know what's I don't know what's happening yeah. there. You just read that they've got um, lockdown and people aren't allowed to go out. But and I is it know. only China and Italy that have that currently? Are they the- I was thinking this morning that we don't know hear much about what's happening in Iran. Yeah. Um, because that's another country mm. that's got huge numbers. Yeah. Can you catch coronavirus once you've already had it? So that's another thing that we're not really sure of because a lot of the time we say that when you get something, you, you then develop immunity and won't you know, your body will then be able to fight it a second with a second exposure. But there have been some cases where people have been considered cured and then they've tested positive a second time. So that's sort of a little bit unknown at the stage. And were they tested again because they redeveloped symptoms or? Yes, yeah, yeah that's right. what happened, yeah. What is the treatment of coronavirus? Um, so... The treatment at the moment, um, the short answer is there's no specific coronavirus treatment. So there's over 20 vaccines in development. Developing a vaccine takes a really long time um, and there's no antiviral treatment that we know is effective, but again, that's hoping to be developed. So the treatment is supportive, Mm -hmm. um, which is, um, you know, hydration, oxygen, help with ventilation as it's needed, those sorts of things. Yeah. And someone said, is it true that zinc, vitamin C and oregano are the best cures? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I hadn't heard about the oregano one, so I, I Googled that and saw that the FDA in America has released a statement telling people to stop making these claims. Um, so I think 
in terms of zinc and vitamin C, you often talk about in terms of trying to boost your immune system. Um, and there's a little bit of evidence around about zinc. We know from the common cold that zinc can make it shorter um, and vitamin C is sort of similar evidence for that. Specifically for coronavirus, you don't know the answer to that, but logically it would seem that if it helps you with your immune response, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oregano, yeah. Good for pizza. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Delicious on pizza, yeah. Someone wrote in, is there, is there somewhere you can go to catch the virus and be quarantined to catch up on Married at First Sight and Netflix <laughs> and chill? <laughs> a few people have been saying, look, if you're going to get it, get it now. With it. Well, the hospitals aren't overrun. Uh, but no, I wouldn't recommend intentionally trying to catch it. <laughs> so do you think we'll see coronavirus parties like there are chicken pox parties? <laughs> or there were, I guess, before there was a vaccination? Um, well, I mean... I, I, I hope not. Mm. Um, I, I think we should avoid spread as much as possible. Um, we're trying to aim for this to not become an endemic illness. This is what a, a huge part of this drive is about. So H1N1 is now endemic, which just means that it does crop up every year. Um, and the aim still now is to try and stamp this out so that it doesn't become something that comes up every year, yeah. in which case there's literally no point in you, you developing your own immunity to it because hopefully yeah. we will never see it again. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And you've talked a bit about how contagious it is, so it's thought that this, it can be spread a metre to a metre and a half. Do we yeah. think that if someone was to evidence around, if someone was to sneeze on their hand and touch a door handle, how long, how long that would stay there for? Yeah, so we know that it's at least a few hours. There's right. some thoughts that in certain situations it can be up to a few days. Wow, okay. And mm. any point in wearing a mask? Masks. So <laughs> yesterday I got, I got fitted for my, my proper mask yesterday um, and it's one of those things that I would love for the public to be able to watch to understand why wearing a mask as a preventative is so futile. So for me to be fitted, I wore my mask inside a big, what would you'd almost look like an astronaut's hat and a very nasty tasting um spray was sprayed every 30 seconds for seven minutes into my hat whilst I moved my head around in different directions to see if I could taste that nasty spray at any time so basically confirming that nothing was getting in Mm, that sounds like Um, torture it was horrible. It turns out I'm quite claustrophobic and I have a career as an astronaut. Uh, and at the end, I then released the mask and let the taste in and it was absolutely vile, but that confirmed that I didn't taste it at all the whole time. Because the other thing as well is that I will then have to wear eye protection as well because it can get in front, but you can also get in through your eyes. That was my question because I have heard that no matter what you do, you can still get the virus in your eyes. Yes, so now yeah, we're going to be seeing people can. walking around the street in goggles as well. <laughs> goggles and N95 masks. Yeah. No, so there is a role for masks if you know you have got coronavirus. So, for example, if I was at home and I knew I had coronavirus and I was trying my very best to prevent spreading it to my husband and my children, a mask would be useful then um, because it will help prevent the spray if I cough or if I sneeze. Mm. Um, there's some talk also that wearing a mask helps remind you not to touch your face. It helps put you in that mindset mm-hmm. because, yeah, touching your face is one of the things that is 
a bad idea and can, you know, you touch a door handle that someone sneezed an hour and a half ago and then you touch your face and then that's how you get it. I must say thank you to the childcare centres that teach our children to sneeze into their elbows and not touch their fa- not touch their oh, hands. I must, if that was around when I was in daycare, I must have missed that day because that is what's going to do. What's the advice around breastfeeding if a mother had it and their child has not yet contracted it? Yes, so this is a really good one and really important to talk about. Um, we know that breastfeeding is really, really good for a baby's immune system. Um, it, you know, usually breastfed babies remain healthy even if their parents are unwell. Um, and so we absolutely think or encourage you to continue breastfeeding your child if you become unwell. And the thought is that that will offer them protection by the pa- passage of your own um, IgA antibodies um, that you will be developing to it. Um, and also to acknowledge that stopping breastfeeding would be stressful for your baby, would be stressful for you, and could result in you know early stopping of your breastfeeding journey. Um, if you had some time off, you can result in you developing mastitis if you mm. suddenly had to wean. Um, across the board, it's not suggested. There was a guidance that came out yesterday that said that you should wear a mask and isolate in between feeds. And there's been a lot of talk about that in medical circles since it came out. And we all sort of feel that that's really quite horrible advice and that by the time you get symptomatic, you've almost certainly already been breathing all over your baby anyway. Um, Mm. And that the, the stress and trauma from trying to separate from your baby and feed with a mask Um, is probably not worth it. You know, even if you know that you have coronavirus, by the time you've tested positive, it's sort of the horse has already bolted. Mm, mm. You've already been feeding your baby. You've already been contagious. Um, So I'm just, I guess I'm acknowledging that that advice has been put out by one particular body, but that um, other bodies have not said that advice. And I personally wouldn't recommend wearing a mask when breastfeeding your baby, even if you know you've got coronavirus. There's obviously exceptions to that situation. If you're somebody who's incredibly unwell being admitted to hospital, that's a different situation. And you'd talk to the doctors that you were being treated by to find out more. And do we know if there's any concern concerns around conception, you know, currently or if you were to have the coronavirus? Um, no, there's no concerns in that area at all. And there's also no concerns that um, there's any um, effect on the baby um, if you're pregnant, not just in terms of contracting it, but in terms of there doesn't seem to be any increased risk of any kind of long-term implications for the baby, any kind of birth defects or that sort of thing. So getting on to prevention, what could we be doing for our immune systems to have optimal protection against this virus? So (laughs) best advice ever to give parents, which is sleep more (laughs) and exercise So um, (laughs) what we know about having a most optimally functioning immune system is reducing your stress, getting good sleep, having a good diet and exercising is really the best things that you can be doing. There's a bit of evidence around vitamin D, which you can get from diet, things like salmon, milk or foods that are fortified, or you can take a supplement of vitamin D as well. Um, but really it's yeah exercise sleep and no stress which I think just describes every 
I was going to say, well, I'm screwed. (laughs) Throw it at me because I'm screwed. (laughs) Mothers of newborns, should Mm. they be staying at home and what should the rules be around who can come and visit? That's a hard one to answer because I think, you know, if I say no, 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 that's fine, let anybody visit you and go out and then somebody's baby gets unwell, that that would be an absolute horror situation. Um, We we know that children and babies are less likely to get it, um, but having said that, it's obviously such a um, precious time. Um, I certainly wouldn't be inviting anybody who'd had known exposure I certainly Mm -hmm. wouldn't be inviting anybody who um, had been recently traveling to one of the higher risk countries and I think that that list is going to be extending very soon um, to traveling to many more countries and then I think in the coming weeks we might say that we would wanting we would we would be wanting to stay at home but hopefully not hopefully it will be contained Mm. but that is I guess it's an evolving situation yeah. And should we be cancelling overseas travel in the near future? I think that it's it, it's very hard, especially with insurance, because mm-hmm. it's you know, it's a nice idea to say cancel, but there's money tied up in it. I certainly wouldn't be booking anything yeah. for any time in the coming months. Um and it's a very personal decision based on your family's health, where you're going, the importance of what you're visiting. I had a colleague yesterday saying they were flying, they're fit and healthy, they're flying to England for their mother's 100th birthday. Well, that's a fair um, reason to go. Yeah, so I think it's a very personal choice, um, but I certainly wouldn't be booking anything new. And I think the other um, reasons, you know, even if you were booked to go somewhere, a lot of these countries have closed down museums and parks and, you know, so even if you did go, you wouldn't be having much fun anyway because everything's closed down. In terms of domestic flying, do you think that there's going to come a time where they'll shut that down for a while or are we going to be okay in our country? There's certainly talk that there'll be um, state closures. Um, So in New Zealand, the district health boards have banned all international travel for work, but they haven't done domestic yet, but they say they're reviewing it on a daily basis. Um, And I don't, I don't know what will happen. As I said before, traveling on planes is actually not as high risk as some people might think. Um, But I think, you know, we could be facing a situation in the coming weeks that's very different to the one we've got now. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do end up with much tighter travel restrictions. Mm. Everyone's going to be going on road trips. Oh, great. Within Australia and New Zealand currently, do you think we should be avoiding public places like public pools, museums, zoos with our kids? I think that we, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in both of our governments for letting large-scale events still go ahead in the coming weeks. I think that I wouldn't be going to the Melbourne Grand Prix and I wouldn't be going to the Pacifica Festival down the road from my house. Um, there's many stories of people attending these large events um, with that, that, that have coronavirus or felt unwell. So there was a Tool concert in Auckland recently and somebody went with coronavirus um, to that whole indoor stadium filled with people. Um, to, event, to go in places that are much less crowded, I think that that's, again, a really personal decision. It only travels, you know, uh, 
one to one and a half meters if you're using good hand hygiene if you've got alcohol hand wash and you're keeping your if your kids love playing with hand wash and washing their hands like mine um and if you can encourage them to not touch their face if you're really careful if you've got wipes they go to the toilet you're wiping the handle um if you're wiping down surfaces where you sit down um i think we know that this is a virus that it is killed by these things. These things are effective. Would hand sanitizer for your little ones, even taking it to school and saying if you can put that on, you know, is that extreme or would that be actually quite smart if they can do that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a good idea. The more that we wash our hands, don't touch our faces, the the, the best things that we've got, and they are good measures. Mm. And something like a, a a normal baby wipe is that sufficient to like to wipe a table or wipe a door handle or? No, so I mean <clears throat> we we talk and we say that it's better than nothing, yeah. but we want things with um, detergents in it with bleach. Um, with alcohol can kill, in it. Kill bugs. So organic natural things right now probably aren't going to cut it. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately yeah. not. Yeah. Did parents take their kids out of daycare? Um, well, I mean, we've just been talking about how good daycare is at teaching your kids to sneeze into your nose, uh, sorry, sneeze into <laughs> your elbow. Yeah. Um, look, we've talked a lot about how kids don't seem to get very unwell with the virus. Um, and so it's obviously a really personal decision, um, but I don't think we're at the stage where we need to be pulling our kids out of daycare at this stage. There are obviously also adults at daycare um, and teachers and cleaners and parents coming and going, and, and that's probably the higher risk time. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a mass hysteria. So what is a rational response to the virus right now? So I say to people that I, as an individual, I'm personally not scared of contracting coronavirus, but I am concerned about the effects on the community and the potential effects on my country. I think a rational response is to use good hand hygiene and to be aware of not touching your face, aware of the surfaces that you're touching, um, and to be a responsible citizen and I, I do think that that's something we need to think about like we're not we're not all individual islands we are members of a community that has vulnerable members in it um, and just being sensible and responsible uh, and not buying all of the toilet paper yeah I think that's um can we touch how did the toilet paper thing start like no one thought it was a gas like a gastrointestinal bug no. did they it's purely because of isolation I've got absolutely no idea why toilet paper was singled out either. Well, now pasta's singled out, so we're all screwed. Pasta's a little bit more logical, though. Yeah. Like, you can at least eat eat that. Because, I mean, look, if we're all at home and we run out of toilet paper, you can just wash, can't you? Yeah. But I do think that it, it really comes back to educating and understanding the right things to do at this time. And the more we, you know send out this information and make people feel calm and that they understand what's going on, then hopefully we will see more people calm down and not overreact and we can do the right thing and take the right measures to, to I guess, control as much as we can with this virus. Yeah, and I think people just need to be smart about, I mean, it's the same with everything. There's so much information out there nowadays for every topic and I think people just need to be smart about 
what they take on board because I did grab some toilet paper and I didn't need it yesterday but I was concerned that I may not get it so I got some yeah (laughs) but anyway I think that's that's most things we thank you so much for coming on we know that you're a busy working mum um but it I think this has been I mean this this has been so helpful Mm. for me I think before this conversation I found the whole thing confusing well I don't think I was almost stressed enough about it I found it all like a bit laughable and that everyone was being a bit over the top but I think that you've made it so clear in the way that we don't have to freak out but we do need to take it seriously um and and that we you know the general public is going to be okay but we do need to um take measures to protect the parts of the pop the, the people in the population that aren't as maybe as fortunate as us and aren't as healthy as us and, um, and perhaps we run out and get some hand sanitizer instead of toilet paper and we can prevent yeah prevent rather than get ready for an apocalypse lockdown can i one other question i had do you know a certain time frame i know you said that it does take quite some time but considering the whole world is on focus to this virus how long will it be until they have a vaccination for this the problem with the vaccine is that it's not the development necessarily it's also the testing and making sure that it's safe um, so the estimates are still saying around sort of at least six months, but maybe around a year. Like we are looking at a long time. Okay. And do we think that it's not going to be until um, a vaccine or an antiviral is developed that this will go away or do we think that it will run its own course? Hopefully we'll be able to contain it and it will be officially declared over in the coming months. But I I don't think on a global scale we've reached the peak or even close to the peak yet, fortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sure that work is extremely busy right now, (laughs) busier than usual right now with all of this. Um, And we hope you stay well and your family stays well and that, yeah, if we all do end up being in lockdown with our kids for two weeks, that we can get through it sanely and (laughs) come out the other side having done lots of indoor activities. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on ya. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.